You are Locked On the NFL, your daily NFL podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, hello. This is Matt Williamson. This is the Locked On NFL podcast, and I teased it yesterday with my old ESPN buddy, Mike Sando, that I was going to have a very special guest for you guys today, and I am delivering in a big way with my man, Ross Tucker. What is up, dude? M-Dub, what's up, man? It's uh, been a little while. It has been a little while. You and I have talked behind the scenes over the last month or so here and there, but I have not chatted with you on the air in some time, and that's a crime. We need to talk more often. Because we're gold together, you know what? And you do, and you, you're, you're. This locked on podcast is daily, right? Yep, five days a week, and we should do this more often, much like yours. So let's two notes on that. First of all, tell everyone about your podcast conglomerate that's going on since we parted ways at ESPN. And I listened to one yesterday, and boom, my buddy Ryan McDowell from that I host the Dynasty Blueprint was on, and I heard you chatting about me a little bit too. So. Worlds were colliding. I know, I know. And and by the way, that was a total coincidence. I reached out to you before I knew Ryan right. was even going to come on the the fantasy feast. So I got to tell you, it's funny. I don't think there's that many people doing daily podcasts. So I, I would say that you have the the only daily NFL podcast that's hosted by a former scout that I'm aware of. I think I'm the only daily NFL podcast hosted by a former player that that I'm aware of. Um, and I'm glad we should do this more often is exactly right. Yeah, man. Um, so Ryan was on the Fantasy Feast, which is the fantasy one I do with Evan Silva from Roto World. I have a gambling one, which is uh, really interesting. I've learned a lot about over the years with Steve Fezzik the only two-time winner of the Super Contest out at the, the Westgate Casino. And then I got the College Draft Podcast, getting people ready for the draft. Andrew Brandt does the Business of Sports Podcast. I even just added uh, the Hazard Ground Podcast to my repertoire. Now, I don't actually – I'm not on that one, but it's awesome. It's, um, it's a former combat veteran named Mark Zinno who does radio in Atlanta, sports talk radio in Atlanta, just – getting the stories from other former combat veterans. So if you're into the military at all, it is totally badass to hear those guys tell their stories. It's amazing. I didn't know of that one. That's awesome. And I've told my listeners many times that all I listen to are podcasts. I mean, when I'm in the shower, I have a podcast going. Obviously in the car, when I'm at the gym, when I'm mowing the lawn. So I subscribe to 60, 70 podcasts. Probably, you know, 85% of them are NFL. And... I didn't know about that one. That'll be next on my list for sure. But what's actually next on my list is you and Greg Cosell sit down as you do every week. I'm going to listen to that one when we hang up here. Love it. Yeah. Today today we did D-line, which obviously is a huge position in this year's draft. And Greg's been awesome. Um, You know, the last month or so, every week we've been going over a different position and he's really had some very strong opinions. Even even some of the things that he said about uh, Quinn and Williams, uh, I thought was interesting, as well as that Oliver and Brian Byrne from Florida State. I was not expecting him to say what he said about Quinn and Williams. So I'd encourage people to listen to that one for sure. Yeah, I'm going to next. So maybe I'll bring it up next time I get back together with my my audience here on Locked On. 
And I have one little beef with you is my booth at the Combine, the Steeler booth, was right next to the Eagles as it is every year, chatting with Fran all up like crazy. I saw Greg left and right. I had dinner with Evan, but Ross Tucker was nowhere to be found at Indy. What's up with that, dude? It's a good question. And the answer is I did not have an employer mm. that offered to pay for me to go there. And so uh, a combination of that and the amount of time I already travel and spend away from my family, it's just it's hard to justify, especially after I just spent eight days at the Super Bowl. It's, it's hard <laughs> to justify going to Indianapolis just so I can have beers with uh, with you and Evan, <laughs> especially. Now, look, if Sirius XM said, hey, we want you to do your show from the combine next year, we're paying. I'd be like, all right, let's do it. But I'm not I'm not paying my own way to to Indy so I can talk to a bunch of scouts that really won't tell me anything or maybe they'll tell me a little bit. But um, now I, I uh, I've only ever been to the combine once actually. And it wasn't even my year. I was, I was a non combine invitee as a senior. I, I knew that. And just, to, I should probably talk about this off the air, but you should certainly talk to Sirius because it's great radio. Like I said, Greg Crosell walks by, Hey, sit down and do a segment with us. There's Fran, do a segment with us, you know. So it's worth it to go for that reason, but that's why I don't go to the Senior Bowl because I'm not paying for it. Exactly. <laughs> that, I, I've never been to the Senior Bowl. So I, I have a pretty simple philosophy, uh, M-Dub. If someone's going to pay me to talk about football, I say yes. yes. If they're going to pay me to go somewhere to talk about football, I say yes. If they want me to pay myself to go, I say no. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good philosophy. Yeah, I'm 100% with you. Um, I want to bring up a few topics, mostly O-line related. But I also want to mention Gronkowski. And it's kind of a big picture legacy thing. And I know you have some Patriot ties. And I think very much that the more I think about it, and some of it's, you know, just because he left. I mean, he might be the best football player of this generation. And... I know that sounds big, but I, a couple notes on that are, besides Brady and Belichick, I think he's the best of these Patriots, the most important of these Patriots, and I know he wasn't himself last year, and they still won the Super Bowl, which is utterly amazing, but I've said for a while, I think he's the most difficult guy to cover in the entire league, including Beckham and AB and Julio and those guys, because who do you put on him? And no one that I can remember gives an offense the flexibility to run out of passing personnel and pass out of running personnel like Gronkowski. Love everything you just said. Totally agree. And for the record, I played for five teams. I would say I have almost the least amount of affinity for the Patriots. You know, mm -hmm. like... My, my closest ties, I guess, are with the Bills because I was there the longest, played the most, made the most money. And then after that, probably the Redskins because I started my career there and made the team there. And then I actually finished my career back there again, um, which is kind of unique. Uh, and then probably the Cowboys just because I started seven games there and my first game ever, Emmett broke the all-time rushing record. So I, I would say the Patriots are like the last of the teams because I played the least, was there the shortest. So I don't really have much of an affinity mm -hmm. for them other than, you know, Brady was there 
when I was there. Goskowski was there my last year there. And so uh, I have an affinity for Brady, and I like seeing him have success, but I really don't care about the Patriots. But when I talk about Gronkowski, it's funny because there are a lot of people end up that you know will try to argue that he's not the best tight end ever, and oh, they'll bring up Tony Gonzalez or Shannon Sharp or whoever, or Antonio Gates even. And what I say is I think it's very fair to debate which tight end had the best career of all time. Like that, that is very fair. And things like longevity and durability and stats compilation should all go into that. Yeah, they matter. Sure. Yeah. But let's just say your argument is it's Tony Gonzalez. Okay. And I think that's great. Tony's unbelievable. Tony's a first ballot hall of famer. No doubt. What I would tell you is that Gronk is a better run blocker, a much better run blocker, a much better pass blocker, better in the red zone, a better deep threat stretching the field. I mean, I, I right. We'd have to we'd have to try to figure out what Gonzalez does better than Gronk. So the point I make to people is like, you can say whatever you want. But the guy is literally better than Gonzalez in every way, pretty much. And in several of those categories, M-Dub, it's really not even close. So to your point about best player of this generation, I mean, we're talking about a first ballot Hall of Famer who people might think – who people think is the best ever at a specific position. And Gronkowski's significantly better than him in pretty much every way. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the field stretching. I mean, I don't have it in front of me, but people, go go to ESPN.com and look at his career average yards per catch. I mean, it's like Tyreek Hill. It's crazy. Um, I have one other Patriot note not, for you. Not, go hey, ahead. Up. Not only that, by the way, not only is his yards per catch insane, but going back to 1992... Um, which I guess is as far back as they can go in terms of starting to track targets for players. Gronkowski has by far the most yards per target of any player in the NFL. Per target, I mean, right. M-Dub, he is a 272, 275-pound tight end. And the guy has the highest average yards per target in NFL history, I mean, that is That's so maybe freaky. the most unfathomable, crazy stat I've ever heard that a guy that weighs over 270, every time the Patriots threw him the ball, whether it was caught or not, they got more yards than any player in NFL history. <laughs> right. And the guy's over 270 pounds. I mean, it's just... It, it's another number to back up your part, your thing that he might be the best player of this generation. And that might be the most impressive of all the numbers. I mean, not to mention the touchdowns and the run blocking and the pass blocking. And even this past year, I mean, we, I was happy he retired because I don't want to see him a shell of himself. But he didn't run like he used to this past year. But he was killing people in the run game. Move blocks, pass protection. I mean, you're a lineman. I'm sure you've watched him and say... Boy, I mean, he could probably he could possibly be an offensive lineman. No, you're right. Uh, he could he could choose to go to that phase of his career now and be like 300 and just play tackle. 
some of the times that they leave him one-on-one with guys, you just don't see other teams do that. Now, he doesn't pass block that often, but when he does, he's really natural at it and really effective at it. He's really uh, powerful as a run blocker. I mean, he's just a tremendous player. And let me just say this, too. I'll add this to it. I had a back surgery with the Buffalo Bills in 05, M-Dub, mm-hmm. and I was never quite the same. I stuck around for a couple more years, but I definitely wasn't quite the same player. For him to have the production and be the player that he was, considering he had a back surgery in college, he had two more in the pros, he had a torn ACL, He had four arm surgeries because of the broken arm and the elbow. For him to still be that kind of player with all of the injuries he had is just insane. And I don't understand. I I don't know if you've ever seen him up close, okay? I was going to bring that up. He is all of six six and a half. I mean, I think he's he's right there at six seven. How many passes? And I know Brady's very accurate. But the amount of passes that he caught on his shoes and that he was able to flex down and bend and catch him off the grass and, like, keep running. I mean, he must do yoga more than any human being in the world. I have no idea how a 6'7 dude catches a ball that's an inch above a blade of grass and keeps running. I mean, it's just – he's – you know what? That, that would be a fun podcast sometime. Maybe I'll have you on the Ross Tucker football podcast and we'll do it. Just the most gifted players of all time, which, by the way, is not always the best, but the most gifted because I would think he's up there, Aaron Rodgers. I mean, there's mm-hmm. a lot of guys we could go to, but he is just incredibly gifted in every way. Yeah. We have to take a quick break, but the more you talk, the more I think – I don't think I was out on a limb at all to say he might be the best player of this generation. I mean, he's a flawless player and just exceptional in every way. We're going to take a break. I'll be back in one minute. I got a lot more to talk about with Ross. We'll be back. back. All right, brother. I got more O-line talk for you, but I was hoping to squeeze this in the first segment. But I and now that I have you on the line, I got to ask you a little bit about Richard Seymour, too. Because I remember when you and I would host football today... And I'm not putting words in your mouth, but I vividly remember you saying the two hardest people for you to block as a player were Seymour and Ray Lewis, for obviously different reasons. And I'm a big Hall of Fame guy, and my audience loves when I chat Hall of Fame. And I've been on the on the, the soapbox for, for Seymour to be a Hall of Famer, and I don't think he's going to be. But are you on board with that, too? I mean, do, do I have a valid case? A thousand percent. And if you ask anybody that played with him or against him, they will tell you that. I mean, I played seven years, five teams, and he's the best defensive lineman I ever played against, period. Hmm. Um, He was incredible. The thing that people don't understand, okay, is that unlike Warren Sapp or Aaron Donald or some of these guys with really impressive numbers – Richard Seymour played in the Patriots 3-4 defense for most of his career. And you really make sacrifices uh, doing that. He had to play the run the first two seconds of every snap, pretty much. He was two-gapping, which means he was not trying to get any penetration at all. In fact, 
you get yelled at if you get penetration as a two-gapper because they just want there to be this, this stone wall on the line of scrimmage. So he doesn't have a million tackles for loss. He doesn't have a million sacks. All I can tell you is hardest guy to block, best defensive lineman I ever went against. He had the unbelievably rare trio of being incredibly naturally gifted. I mean, explosive, mm-hmm. strong, long, long arms, yeah. big. But he also, M-Dub, had terrific technique. And then he also, which is the key, he he was a prick. I mean, he had he had a motor, and he was really trying to take your soul. Like, he was really trying to beat you up and embarrass you. A lot of D linemen only have one of those three. Uh, some of them have two, but it's really hard to have incredible natural ability, the incredible technique, and that kind of motor attitude. And that's why in my book, he's a Hall of Famer. And I think he's got a shot just because of the Patriots' success. Mm-hmm. And I think there's enough people like me that will tell voters, like, dude, the guy, like, if he went to, t- if he and Warren Sapp switched places, Warren Sapp could not do what Richard Seymour did in New England. Absolutely not. I am, I, I strongly believe that if you just had Seymour get wide in the B gap and just bum rush the B gap, he would have caused so much havoc. I mean, the guy was, unstoppable and to take it even a step further i'm sitting here thinking who else is like that jj watt like what if seymour was used like watt even as an edge guy move him all over the line find the weak link penetrator attacking type i don't know that it'd be that much different i i think you're right i think that there's a lot of similarities between those guys and the biggest difference being Watt gets a lot more freedom, mm-hmm. and Watt will take chances that Seymour never took because he wasn't allowed to. Right. And I know Aaron Smith from, I always bring it back to my Steelers, of course. Aaron Smith isn't on those guys' level, but he was a great player. But it's the same sort of argument. Like, I always have that around here. I think Aaron Smith went to one Pro Bowl. He was awesome, but he wasn't allowed to freelance. And he's not as athletic as those guys, but Seymour was asked to do. Aaron Smith things instead of J.J. Watt things, which I think hurts his cause to go in the Hall of Fame because otherwise I think he'd moonwalk in. Thousand percent. And Aaron Smith was a really, really good player. Yeah. And so anybody that went against Aaron could tell you how good he was. And then with any argument you ever hear since, you know, since you do a lot of Steelers stuff about Aaron Smith, that's the same argument for Seymour, just kind of on steroids. You know what I mean? Like it's better and more athletic, even more, and, yeah. yeah, yeah, faster and all the above. Um, another quick break, and then maybe we will talk about O line. But as often is the case, I start reminiscing with my buddies on this podcast, and I can't help myself. But we'll be back here in a moment. Ross, also to put some words in your mouth, we we spent five days a week together for several years, and you're, as a player, I remember you saying. If there was one thing physically you could have changed about yourself, you would have had longer arms. You know, we talked about Seymour, what problems he presents. And I don't know how much you've watched the Jonah Williams from Alabama, 
But I watch this guy, and it's not even like he has short arms. He just doesn't have long arms. And people are like, I don't know if he should be a tackle in the NFL. I mean, are you kidding me? He is so technically sound. I think he's a phenomenal prospect. If he doesn't happen to work out a tackle, he's probably a Pro Bowl guard or center. Like, to me, this is a phenomenal prospect. And yeah, I wish his arms were a little longer, but it's not a deterrent to me. You know what's interesting too, M-Dub? Like, if you told me, Ross, you could have a little bit better anything, Mm -hmm. I would actually, number one, say health. Like, if you just told me before every game that I would feel good, that would be number one. And number two would be, I wish my technique was better. But then number three would be my arm length. And certainly if we're talking physical characteristics, absolutely it would be arm length. Before anything else, faster, stronger, it's not even close uh, because it does make a difference in pass protection for sure. Even when you go up to the second level to block linebackers, I can remember Ray Lewis was able to lock me out because his arms were longer than me. You know, he he could get to my chest before I could get to his chest. Um, But I love Jonah Williams. Now, I haven't watched... The coaching tape of the national championship game, yeah, it didn't go where right. supposedly he struggled with Cleveland Farrell. So I still want to watch that because I didn't see that yet. But the two games I have watched and the other clips I have, I'm obsessed with this guy. So first of all, to start as a true freshman at tackle at Alabama game one, you are precocious. Like they they always have like 15 scholarship offensive linemen. So for you to start as a true freshman first game, that is that says so much about your understanding of the game because it's just very difficult to do that as a true freshman. Saban's so not going to trot one, you out there if you're not ready, you know. Right. <laughs> right. So, so number one, you know he's precocious. Number two, he is so technically sound, so smart, and he's got nice feet. I think he's going to be a above-average starting offensive tackle in the NFL. I think he'll be fine. I don't even know if his arms are even shorter than Joe Thomas's were. Um, would you love to have a little bit longer? Yeah, but I met play with a guy that was pretty effective, Jonas Jennings. He was six three. I don't think he had that long of arms. I, I think I had, I talked to Joe Thomas about this one time, uh, M Dub, and he said something interesting. He said. You know, the defensive guy can always kind of contort their body and give you a one-arm stab, which you can't do just by the posture of when you're pass blocking. Sure. You can't have your weight and chest and head forward like a defensive lineman is. Like Khalil Mack. You can't extend one arm like that. So his point was, they can always get to you before you get to them anyway. Like they, No matter how long your arms are, they're always able to put a lever into you before you are able to put one into them anyway, unless you have like crazy long arms. Mm-hmm. He said, so you're really just doing your set and working your feet and then countering their initial one-arm stab or whatever move they throw. You're really just – you're at a disadvantage in terms of reach and length to begin with, and you're really just countering off that. So he doesn't he doesn't really see what the big deal is. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. And let's stick with the tackle talk here to finish things up a little bit. And 
I, I still fall into this mistake because I'm old and set in my ways, which is amazing. I've been doing this so long that sometimes I'll look at a prospect like, oh, he's a right tackle. It, it doesn't matter. Right tackle and left tackle are exactly the same thing. And to me, it's more what side are you more comfortable on? And this like brings me to the Raiders. I was talking to the Locked On Raiders host, and they just made Trent Brown the highest paid offensive lineman in the history of the world. And I said to him, I'm like, I don't care how much you're paying him. He's better on the right side. And if Colton Miller is more comfortable on the left side, put Miller at left and Brown at right. I mean, I don't care. And not to mention, he's gonna, he has to block Bosa and Von Miller in that division. So to me, I don't care your physical attributes anymore, left versus right. It's more, what are you more comfortable doing? Which one have you done more of? Right. And the thing is, is it used to be left tackle. Because teams used to almost always put their elite rusher Mm -hmm. to the offense's left because they wanted that guy coming around the blind side so that the quarterback couldn't see him and so more likely of a chance of a sack or a strip sack, a fumble, etc. Whereas the thought process was, well, if they come from the other side, even if they beat the guy, the quarterback can see him because most of them are right-handed and he can move or he can get rid of the ball faster and you're not going to get the game-changing play. So they put the Lawrence Taylors of the world over the left tackle. Derek so Thomas, you really needed a left yeah. right. Right. So you really needed a left tackle with really sweet feet, right? You really needed a guy that had sweet feet. If you look now, more and more of these guys, JJ Watt, Von Miller, Mack. Justin Houston, yeah, right. uh Khalil Mack, you go right down the line. They're more and more are playing over right tackle, which I think is interesting. I think that they like having their right hand down at times and right foot up or um, to pass rush over there. I, and I think some of the times these teams have said, you know what? The right tackle usually is a lesser athlete, a lesser pass blocker. So let's go there. And even if he doesn't get there, we like the idea of him being, you know, disrupting the quarterback, being kind of in the the quarterback's face. Yeah. So yeah. that's one of the reasons why the Eagles have had a bunch of success. I think they have arguably the best right tackle in football in Lane Johnson and certainly one of them. And they've realized the value of having that guy over there. And so I think more and more teams are finally realizing those guys better be interchangeable. You think about Mitchell Schwartz in Kansas City – you know, he was going against Khalil Mack in Oakland. He was going against uh, Melvin Ingram uh, in in with against the Chargers. Even his team had Justin Houston over there. I mean, that was Von uh, Miller, right? Yeah, I mean, Von Miller. Every team in the division had a real deal guy, which is why the Chiefs paid Mitchell Schwartz, you know, to be there to be their right tackle. So you are right about that. Like to me. Switching Colton Miller and Trent Brown just because of the money, that would make no sense at all, especially in that division. I'd actually ask Colton Miller where he's most comfortable and let him play there. Right, right. That's exactly what I said. Was Whatever the young guy's happy with, the first-round pick, wherever you're most comfortable, plug him in, make his transition as, as easy as possible. Trent, we're paying you the big money to be great at either side. I don't know if he will be or not, but... You know, I don't care that you're right or left. We're not paying you left tackle money or right tackle money or any of those type of things. Dude, this was a blast. This this 25 minutes or whatever went by in a heartbeat, as it so often does when we chat. 
We should do it more often. Please tell everyone where they can find you if they're not following you already and checking out your podcast. Yeah, so Twitter and Instagram are both at Ross Tucker NFL. Facebook is facebook.com slash Ross Tucker NFL. And, of course, you can check out all my podcasts. I gave you the names of them earlier, but they're all available at rostucker.com or wherever podcasts are found. And, yeah, get the uh, get the scout slant from M-Dub and get the player slant from me. Absolutely. Folks, this was a blast. I have another surprise for you next week that I can't quite reveal. I'm going to work out the details over this weekend, but next week's going to be kind of a bonus prize for you guys. So stay tuned to that over and out.